0: Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not been, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violence take it by force. For all the prophets and, and the law Prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? Is it like children? Or it is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by our children. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes but I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works were done in you, had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it may be that it, it uh, shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And we'll take, and we'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray together. Lord, we yield ourselves to your holy word. Thank you, Jesus, as you said, your word will outlive the heavens and the earth. What a privilege it is to build our lives upon it, Lord, and to allow your Holy Spirit to form and fashion us and make us more like Jesus. And that's what we want. So we don't ask for your word to be powerful because your word says it already is. We ask for our hearts to be receptive to what Your powerful Word wants to say to us and make application as He sees fit. We yield our hearts. We don't. We don't want to be just hearers of the Word, deceiving ourselves. We want to be doers of Your Word by Your grace and by Your power. We commit it to You in Jesus' name, Amen. Please be seated. You see me waving and stuff. It's the flies, and you know I'm not. I'm not doing the robot, you know, and you know. So just know that. Um, <laughs> We're continuing in this great gospel. We've seen the great Sermon on the Mount in chapters five through seven. We saw in chapters eight and nine, Jesus heal in many different ways, emphasizing the importance of faith and showcasing that, highlighting that, uh, illuminating that in front of all to see that that is what needs to be, um, coming from each one of our hearts, not faith in our faith, but faith in God. We also saw in chapter 10 last week, the missionary manifesto, where he sent out the, the disciples and sent them out to do ministry, to have hands on experience, which is so important. And we saw the very practical training that they received. But today's a little different. Today in chapter 11, we're, we're going to see John the Baptist struggling. He's struggling while he's in prison. We're also going to see Jesus pronounce woes on various cities because of them rejecting what only the Messiah could do. They rejected those things and did not believe in Him, and thus he, he pronounces judgment. Also, and lastly, we'll see His compassion as He reaches out to those that are spiritually weary and worn out and, and those that need salvation and saying to come to Him. We begin in verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding the, His disciples, 12 disciples, it means sending them out, commanding them to go out, to giving them instruction related to how to go out, um, that He departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. This is talking about the Galilee, the area in the north, the area that the, those in Jerusalem look down upon. It's kind of, you know, less than them. Kind of how, like I said before, kind of how people some people in like San Francisco the bay area look down on the people in the valley a bunch of Okies and all of that you know um, um that's fine they can say whatever they want uh but they look down on galileans uh and so that's that's going on there and so he's ministering in their cities and then uh we're told in verse 2 and when john had heard in prison about the works of christ he sent two of his disciples and said to him are you the coming one or do we look for another so clearly From these verses, specifically verse three, that John is really struggling here, and so we want to look at that this week in part. And and so here, John was so sure before you've been sure of something, and then later on you questioned it. That's happened to me a lot, especially when it comes to uh, some diet or something. And you know, like why did I try this diet? You know, it's like all I can eat is you know rice cakes. And that's all I can have, and that's it. Am I questioning that? Why did I think that that was so wise? You know, we we can question things. John the Baptist is struggling a little bit more than that. Uh, The very identity of the one that he was the forerunner for, uh, he's struggling with now, and so. You know, in the book of John, we see, and we will see this when we get there. John the Baptist said this, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Said that in chapter, in the, in the first part of John. So that's sure. I mean, he is positive. He is. This is. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He baptized him. I mean, he he was his cousin. I mean, he he hadn't met him. It sounds like or really known him for many many years uh, until he met him on that day of Jesus' baptism. But you know, he. You just ask the question. You know, what happened? What could cause a man to be that sure about the? The, the Messiah and His calling and all. of And we know what Jesus is going to say about John the Baptist. But he's a great man of God. And here he is struggling. And so when you come to the point where you're willing to risk offending the Messiah by asking if He actually is the Messiah, you have gone down a path of discouragement and depression that is is quite significant. I believe that he was probably contemplating asking this for a while. And he finally got so to the point of desperation, whatever was going on in his heart, that he just was compelled to, to say, ask his two of his disciples to go, to go ask the Lord Jesus this. If you read a lot of commentaries and a lot of people that are the scholars, uh, a lot of times they focus, I believe, uh, unequally or uh, too much so on their, their belief of why John the Baptist was struggling. They focus mainly on the fact that he was in prison and for the length of time that he had been in prison, likely up to a year at this point. John's Gospel talks about a ministry that went on primarily that Matthew doesn't talk about, and it it's the year of obscurity there. This is this is really in the year of popularity here, and then coming soon, we're going to see the year of opposition. And that's kind of how it's divided, it divided up. And so here John's in prison, and we're not minimizing how painful that prison experience was. Prison's bad in, you know, in this country, obviously. But in other countries, especially third world countries and Middle Eastern countries, it's really bad. And in those days, they didn't just give you three meals a day and you didn't have a gym, you know, outside and you didn't have recreation or TVs. If someone didn't, that you knew or family didn't bring you food, you weren't eating very well at all, if, if at all. And so it was a horrible experience. And I, and I still believe, John, Uh, remaining in prison is related to his struggle. But I don't believe it's the main reason why he's struggling. I believe it's related because I believe in John's eyes, based on what we'll see in a moment, John remaining in prison was just a symptom. Jesus allowing John to remain in prison is just a symptom of something greater and bigger that John was dealing with. Hold your place here and turn back to Matthew chapter 3. And let's look at this. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. We've already covered this, but let's read it again. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Notice the words, and even now, the axe is laid to the root and to the trees. There's an urgency here that he's communicating that of his expectation of what's going to happen. Verse 11, and I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Those sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then verse 12 is the real big verse that unlocks what John's struggling with. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist is expecting the Messiah to immediately bring judgment. That's what he's believing. Like he will... Do it as a second coming. You know, we're, God's going to bring judgment through Jesus. Jesus is going to come as a, as a conquering king bringing judgment. Matthew 25 lays out the judgment of the nations, separating the sheep from the goats and so forth. He's going to bring judgment. And John was right about that. But what he was wrong about was the timing of it. He was just prophesying 2,000 years too early. He was biblical. He was he was referencing things from the Old Testament that were very biblical, related to Jesus coming as a judge. In fact, when when uh, Jesus in Galilee, actually in Nazareth, opened the scroll and, t- and read the the scripture that he read, he stopped at a verse. If he would have read one more verse that he was quoting from the Old Testament in Isaiah, it was getting into his second coming. There's literally one verse separating his first and second coming in the book of Mark. When we when we when we get there, we'll see that. So he was, this was his expectation. I want to connect this to our text. So turn back to Matthew 11. Give your thumb a break. <laughs> and I want to look at the catalyst or the cause for John to send his disciples to Jesus. Notice in verse 2, and this is so overlooked. Let's look at it again. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Notice it doesn't say when John was upset because he was still in prison, he sent two of his disciples. No. That's not the main reason. John heard about the works of Christ. What works did he hear about? The healings. The miracles. But he didn't hear anything about judgment or being a political savior or shutting down the corrupt Pharisees and Sadducees, especially the Sadducees working that whole corrupt system in the temple of taking advantage of people during and th- during their time there ex- and wanting to have it pure and ex- an expression of worship and Jesus cleared out that temple twice and John's expectations was that that would be occurring by now those weren't the works John was con- was was thinking he would be hearing about and he was up in the Galilee what was he doing there he was supposed to be around Jerusalem where all this all the power was was located it was centralized and so forth so because if and it, this is how it relates to him being in prison, if Jesus was being about judgment now and being a political savior and all these things, then it would have included him being released from prison. So indirectly, yes, he was in prison and it was painful and it was hard, but it was it was his expectation of what the Messiah was going to be about during his public ministry. That's what stumbled John the Baptist. He, he and he was he was doing the right thing. He was in prison for saying the truth and speaking the truth. So he wasn't there unjustly. He was I mean, he wasn't there ju- justly. He was there unjustly. So you can imagine how hard it would have been for him. Again, he was just off on the, on the timing. He didn't do anything wrong. God can fail to meet our expectations as Christians. And what this tells us, even the greatest prophet in the Old Testament that, that Jesus is going to talk about, John the Baptist being that prophet, can stumble and can have unmet expectations and wrong conclusions about God's faithfulness and His provision, and so forth. And we can find ourselves—even the most mature of us—can find ourselves in a time of crisis where we're doubting and we're like, "I, I didn't think that this was in the, the the game plan, or I didn't. This isn't what I expected." And that's why, when we preach that gospel, we need to be honest with people. And that's why the prosperity false doctrine that's prolific. Is is does so much damage because if you do all these right things and you have enough faith and you quote scripture enough, you're going to be healthy and wealthy all the time. And if you're not, then you don't have enough faith. And so there's something wrong with you and not with God. That does damage to people's souls. And so here John has these unmet expectations that we can all relate to. And what's encouraging to me is that John was not this immature believer. and And he had great faith at one point. So again, we can struggle. We can have times of crisis and it's comforting to me because we all go through this at times. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you feel like God's let you down. You have unmet expectations. You feel like something that God was supposed to do, he didn't do. Or maybe he's doing something or allowing something that you didn't think was possible at all for God to do. There are great times, there are times when great men and women go through this and God calls every one of us at times to go back to basics to go back to the foundation of our faith to go back and find out what God really says in his word what verses are we quoting that are not even in the bible at a first flesh Elonians, you know you know where God could never allow me to lose a child God would never allow me to have to lose my job or be called to this or to lose a parent at a young age. Or, you know, I lost my dad when I was four. I lost my mom when I was 17 before I was even saved. My sisters were praying for me. And after 10 years at the age of 20, I finally received Christ. They started praying when I was 10. It was bad. <laughs> it was bad. But I got saved when I was 20 and God has done so much restoration in my heart but I've been let down in my own mind from my own perspective during the last 25 years of walking with Christ. It's not abnormal to have times of crisis. But what God does is, is He reminds us to go back to the basics, to go to go back to, to, his, to his Word. And that's exactly what Jesus does in verses 4-6. through six. Look at there. He says, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you heard and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I bet you verse 5 is exactly the report that John the Baptist heard while he was in prison originally that caused him to send those two people. What? That's it? I mean, that's great. That's messianic, but he's not doing some other things that I thought he might be doing. And and But I know that he didn't hear this and blessed is he who's not offended because of me. I mean, maybe uh, it would be a, would have been great for one of his disciples to say that to him. But I don't know that that uh, would happen in that role there. So these are the great works that, that, that the Old Testament speaks of. in Isaiah 35 and 61 and all these places in the Old Testament. When the Messiah came again, Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews about a Jew, the Messiah. It's all messianic. It's all Jewish. And so forth. And he's trying to give a biblical basis to Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. So what Jesus is saying to John is, remember the word of God, John. By saying these things, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm doing. He's saying, I'm doing what the Messiah is supposed to be doing. You know, in a sense, for us, it would be go back to your Bible. Go read your Bible again. So when we're offended by God or experience unmet expectations, ultimately we're holding God to some standard or plan that He never agreed to. Have you ever had someone try to hold you to something you never agreed to? Isn't that parenthood? (laughs) I didn't say that. Wait a minute. You said that and, and I have it recorded. I'm like, no, you don't have it recorded. I never said that. Or I don't think I said it or whatever. But it's frustrating when someone tries to hold you to something that you never said. And so I'm God has that experience all the time that his people are holding him to things that he never said. He never said he wouldn't allow these things. He never said he wouldn't do those things in their life or whatever it is or withhold certain things from them. And and that is something that we have to watch out for because we want to be guided into all truth and expect what uh God has truly said that He would do. God's Word never said that the entirety of the Messiah's mission would be accomplished in one visit to earth. Never said it. And so because there's these judgment Scriptures and conquering Scriptures and the sitting on the throne of David Scriptures, they're thinking that all that's going to happen. He never said He would come in one visit. He's coming twice. The second time He's coming as the conquering King. So judgment will come later. Even though later in our passage he's going to pronounce judgment, he's just not going to execute judgment. When he comes the second time, he's going to execute judgment like John was expecting. So we need to go back to the Word of God, to go back what God actually has said. What are our expectations? What could we think that God would never do? That if He did it or allowed it, that my faith would be shaken to the point of turning away from your backsliding or whatever it is. We need to think and and settle that right now and settle it because He's our Lord. We've been bought with the price, we're told. We're not our own anymore. He can do with our lives as He wants to do. He doesn't owe us anything. We are not owed anything. If He does nothing else for you in your life, you're eternally indebted to Him related to worship because of forgiveness of sins. He could take your life today. He could take your family. He could take your job. He could take. He could relocate you to India in the slums for ministry. He can do whatever he wants. Right now, I'm getting ready to move to Modesto. I don't want to move to Modesto. I want to move here. I want. I mean, I want to stay here. But God has made it clear I'm supposed to be in, live in Modesto for a season. I don't know why. Besides my wife's health and and you know things that will help our family and so forth and just. I just know it's him. I just know it. It's not my preference, but that's what he's saying. And and we, I think of these Gospel for Asia missionaries that are walking for four hours to get to church each way and be and they're so thankful for God's word and someone that's willing to preach it and to sacrifice all that they have to sacrifice to bring that word and to be that leader. And and we don't want to drive a few minutes with, with air conditioning to go to a home study or to to go help someone that's in need or whatever. I mean, it's perspective for us. It's perspective. Our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. Verse 7, as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out to the, in, into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? And what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he who, of whom it is written, behold. And behold means carefully consider. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. He's quoting Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Uh, verse 11. Assuredly I say to you among those born of women there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Notice this, that Jesus is defending someone who is struggling and even struggling with the identity of who he is. He's defending him. Don't you love that about Jesus? He's just defending John the Baptist. He didn't. I don't believe he said what he said to John's messengers or his disciples with harshness or rebuke, a heart like that. He was just... Saying this is the truth, tell John this. These things are happening, and those that are not stumbled by me or offended by me are blessed. I don't think he did it like yeah or trying to make him look bad because here he doesn't do that. First of all, but I mean here he's 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 venerating John the Baptist. He's respecting him. He's wanting everyone to know that he's more than a prophet. Why? Because he saw the Messiah begin his public ministry. No other prophet did. He was also the forerunner directly before the Messiah would come. Matthew's already quoted Isaiah 40. And and that is substantiating the John the Baptist's ministry. And and he says, no one born of of women is greater. How would you like Jesus to say that about you? There's no one greater born of women than this person. He's talking about you. Wow. That's amazing. The The incredible thing is, is that he said all of this after John's disciples departed. Did you see that? <laughs> John didn't hear this. John wouldn't hear this. Do you think Jesus made a mistake? No. Jesus didn't say one thing more or less than he should say, modeling what our lives should look like related to our speech. He waited. It wasn't for John's disciples to hear because it wasn't for John to hear. We don't, we're not given the reasons why, but we know that it was best for John. We know that God is loving, He's gracious, and He's good, and He only does what's best for us. So somehow it, would have, it was in John's best interest or else Jesus would have said it to His disciples. But John was reminded of God's Word. And because John was so great and because he de- did know God's Word and because he was separated from his mother's womb for God and was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb, he was... Uh, he was all that God wanted him to be. Jesus didn't need to add anything to this. This is Jesus' communication with John that I am the Messiah. I'm doing what Messiahs do. Don't be stumbled by me. You'll be blessed. And, and that's all he needed to hear. And if he needed to hear anything more than that, then he would have said it. And sometimes God just gives us a verse, gives us a passage, and that's all he says. And it's, that's all we need. We don't need Him to say a bunch of many other... I like to talk a lot, unfortunately. In the multitude of of words, sin is not lacking, the Scripture says. And I'm working on not saying more or less than I should. But I say way too much. And God knows exactly what to say to us when we're struggling, when we're doubting, when we're questioning. We need to look at what are we expecting God to do? Did He actually promise to, to do it or not do it? Was it actually a biblical thing that we're standing on? that we're counting on Him to do. A lot of times it has to do with the timing of it. Maybe it is a biblical thing. But the timing isn't right. Just like with John, the timing wasn't right. Jesus would do these things, but not in His lifetime. And John's going to lose his head literally. He's going to be martyred, and it's going to be completely inside of God's plan. What if someone you deeply, deeply cared about and loved was had their heads cut off for obeying God? Would that stumble you? John the Baptist had close friends. Did it stumble them? He had parents. He had friends. He had disciples. Well, they could have asked, why, did, why God? Why, why would you allow John to go through this and to suffer in prison when the Messiah is here? Could have released him and he didn't and he allowed him to have his head chopped off. They could have had those questions. But when we read it, we're fine with it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was good for him. That was, you know, I, I accept it. But when it comes to our life, oh, it's a whole different side of, set of rules for us. No, there isn't a bunch. I'm wanting to break through the deception that there's a different set of rules for us related to suffering than when we see other people suffer in other countries. We pray for Pastor Saeed. Do we, would we be stumbled? If someone we cared about knew personally went to, to prison, we somehow God's not just now. He's just as just. He's just as faithful and so forth. So it was in God's, in, in John rather's best interest. No one was greater than John the Baptist. Now notice uh, in verse 12, he says, "And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violence take it by force." Now that's clear. <laughs> we all understand what that means. You know, there's many different interpretations of this. This is my best shot at it. Violence was against John. John was suffering violence. From those that were against the kingdom of God, and soon they were as Jesus would be entering the year of opposition, the last year of his public ministry. Eventually, that's going to lead to him being experiencing violence, and so this world rejected uh, John, reject, rejected Jesus. He's going to reject us in the same way, and he preached and he was faithful to the end. Now, Luke seems to quote the same type of thing. Maybe it's an entirely different quote when he talks about they're pre- we're pressing into the kingdom of God those are pressing into it that may be an entirely different quote i don't know but the point is is that john is not owed anything john is the greatest prophet of all and he's not owed anything even he being the greatest prophet of all suffered violence and he he endured these things and so for the message for us is if the greatest prophet in the old testament and if jesus suffered then it's okay and appropriate and an expression of God's love for us to go through suffering as well and it shouldn't stumble us. Verse 13, For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 speaks of Elijah coming. Remember at one point, in fact, it hasn't happened yet in Matthew, but there's a one point where they, Jesus says to his disciples, who to, who does, who do this, the, uh, they say the Son of Man is? Some say Elijah. They answered. Some say they were expecting Elijah to come. So we're told, though, in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, that, that, uh, John would go out in the spirit and power of Elijah, speaking of him preparing the Jews for the Messiah. So he was in the spirit and power of Elijah, but it wasn't Elijah literally coming. We believe that's going to happen in the Book of Revelation. One of the two witnesses will likely be Elijah and will fulfill Malachi chapter four verse five. But so that's what I believe Jesus is referring to. And so now he again he doesn't execute judgment, but he pronounces judgment like John expected. Um, But. Him and John expected the execution of it, but he pronounced it in verses 16 and 17 uh, Are coming up in this section. Verse 16. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and, at, and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. Now this is an interesting quote. He's not quoting scripture here. He's talking about what was common in that day, games that children would play. When they would play, uh, you know, like you would play hospital or whatever, and as a kid and so forth, you act these things out. Those kids in that time would do that. They would pretend to have a wedding, and they would enact a wedding, and they would play and pretend and so forth. They'd also enact, believe it or not, they'd enact uh funerals. Because in that day, they had professional mourners. And so he's saying here that, um, you know, just like... Children who are playing and some of the children don't respond appropriately to playing uh, and mimicking a wedding and a funeral and not responding to the music and so forth, so too the unbelievers and the Pharisees will not respond appropriately to the Messiah and the message of John the Baptist and the message of Jesus and so forth. And so he's saying that's what this generation uh, of unbelief is like. Because no matter what Jesus did, they did not react the right way. Way And he gives an example, two examples in verses 18 and 19 of this, when he said, for John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. So that no matter what, they're not happy with God's messenger. John had a different approach to ministry. He didn't come eating and drinking and being close and intimate with unbelievers. That wasn't how his, how wasn't the expression of his ministry. And that's how it wasn't supposed to be like that. But for Lord Jesus was and how we are supposed to be. We're supposed to be around unbelievers being salt and light and so forth. So we're supposed to be around them. And so no matter what approach God provided, they still were in unbelief. They still did not accept God's messenger. Just like, and they didn't have the appropriate response. Just like the playmates of these children didn't have the appropriate response when they were playing and reenacting these things. These unbelievers or these these Pharisees and unbelievers in this generation didn't have the appropriate response. But he adds, but ju- wisdom is justified by her children. Those that walk in wisdom validate how amazing wisdom is, and so those that appropriated John's ministry. And repented and prepared themselves for the Messiah by their, that wisdom that they did validated the how great wisdom is. And the same with Jesus's ministry. those that obeyed Jesus's ministry and received him and so forth and acted upon what he was pronouncing to them with the gospel and so forth, their lives started to change and were started to look like the wisdom that God wanted to demonstrate. And so wisdom was justified in that sense and, and, and so forth. So he's saying, no matter what the approach is, the unbelieving generation rejects this, no matter what God does, they're rejecting having the inappropriate response. But but God just wants to reach people and he just wants to have people their lives changed. And when their lives are changed and they respond appropriate to God's message, then God is God is revealed as being the wise God that He is. And, and wisdom is on display for everybody to see through our lives. It's beautiful. Verse 20. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, treason, Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. They were judged at one point. God prophesied against them and they were judged. But I say to you, verse 22, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. To much is given, much is required. Revelation is a privilege. And the more God reveals to us about Him and His truth, the more accountable we are. Those cities had prophets prophesying, representatives of God. They were pointing to the Messiah. Now the Messiah has arrived. And the Messiah has done what only the Messiah could do. And they've rejected and they have not believed. And he's saying because you've had greater revelation... You're going to have greater punishment. And that's how it is when we share the gospel with people. If you've reje- if you die in your sins, you die with rejecting Christ and you've heard the gospel a hundred times, that, that, that destruction and that punishment and all of those things are going to be worse than someone who heard it once and rejected. And so when we preach the gospel to someone and they reject, their heart can get harder and harder and harder. And so if they're not cooperating with the Holy Spirit, because if they are, then they can get softer. They can get closer and closer until one day they put their faith in Christ and they become born again. Then, then that's, that's exactly how God has set it up. So we have to know that, that. Much is given, much is required. And He's pronouncing judgment. Not executing how John expected, but pronouncing it. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Sometimes we wonder, you know, why do I know these things? I know I know the future. You know, I see Russia. I see Iran right now. I see Syria. I see Turkey being Muslim. I'm seeing all these things starting to, position themselves, start to get into place. I see Israel being under attack. God brought them in back into their land in 1948, fulfilling prophecy. And the whole thing is centered around Israel. All the seven-year tribulation is centered around Israel. We see all these things lining up. I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. It's privileged information. And and we need to recognize that God doesn't just reveal that to anybody. He reveals it to babes, the foolish things of this world, the uneducated, those that don't claim to be wise and intelligent and don't claim to know everything, the humble. He reveals those things to them because they can receive it. Because humility is the door through which we receive God's revelation in an increasing way. And so this blesses Jesus. He thanks the Father here. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent. Those are wise in their own eyes and revealed them to babes. And it says he seemed good in his sight. And it, and it does. It did and it does. So he continues. All things have been delivered to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father. Nor does anyone know the father except the son. And you could put the word fully in there. Because we know the Son. We have a relationship with Him, those of us that are born again. We know the Son, but we don't know Him like the Father knows Him. And we don't know the Father like the Son knows the Father, even though we know the Father. And to the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. So nobody just on their own, apart from the Spirit drawing them, seeks God and, and wants to know God. Jesus said if I be lifted up I'll draw all men to myself. So apart from God drawing us to him we would not seek after him. There's no 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 none righteous, no not one Romans says. There's no one that seeks him, talking about apart from God drawing him. So for we know that and and so God chooses to to reveal himself to people that that need him and as they respond then they come to him. And that's what he says in verse 28. Come to me, all who, all you who are, 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 who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Most of the time, when God talks about God's election and God's sovereignty, usually right in the same area, he also talks about human responsibility. And he gives this, he gives this invitation here. He says, Come to me, all who, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He doesn't qualify it. All. Everybody. Anybody. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and will find you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he says, yes, I choose to reveal myself. And I reveal myself to anyone that will come to me. And so it's a beautiful balance. Balance. A, it's it's he elects as if we don't choose and we, cho- he, we choose we as if he doesn't elect and he doesn't ask us to comprehend how he does that. That's what makes us worship him. That's what makes us can't, like how God can you do that? How can you honor our our choice? Give us a choice and yet still uh, reveal yourself to us and 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 give us that revelation and draw us to yourself because of your Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture. Now, this imagery here of yokes and, uh, you know, when I talk of yokes, I talk about, you know, working out and stuff. That's not what he means here. Um, you know, a lot of people here are yoked more than me. That's for sure. Um, but he's not talking about that. He says, my yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke is something that that connected two oxen. And if one was one oxen was stronger than the other, it would do damage to both animals. So they had to be equally yoked. They had to be equally connected and, and right for each other and appropriate for each other. And so from we don't know farming. We don't know all of that, that agrarian society, but that's what he's speaking into here. So he says, my, take my yoke upon you. It's light. That connection that you have between me and you, that's a light connection. It's not a burdensome connection. And if you're weighed, weighed, weighted down, you're heavy laden, and you labor spiritually, don't labor anymore. Come to me and I will give you spiritual rest. And he says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's one of the very few times, and that might be the only time where he says, uh, uh, proclaims that he is something as, as amazing as that. Like, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Just clearly says something about himself. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden. You put burdens on animals. You put burdens on donkeys. So it's again, the same imagery here. My burden is light. What I'm going to provide for you and what I'm going to do in your life is not something that's going to weight you down. And he's contrasting all of this with the Pharisees. And later on in Matthew 19, he's going to talk about you put loads on people and you're not willing to lay a, you know, lay a finger to help and you know, you're a hindrance to God's people. And his anger comes forth. He never got angry at the common people. He always got angry at the religious leaders who were proud and thought they didn't need Him and didn't need forgiveness and they were self-justified. So God wants all men to experience this spiritual rest and peace. And He has that open invitation to everybody. And if they would just come. And that's our message that we communicate. Come. Come to Jesus. Not come to church. That's great. Church is important. That's how we grow. We need to be out there and be bold and be willing and be equipped to say, come to Jesus. I'm telling you about Jesus. I'm not promoting my church. I'm promoting Jesus Christ and His forgiveness. He's the one that can change your life. He's the one that can forgive you of sins. You, You don't have to bring people here to hear the Gospel. That's great that you do. And they will hear the Gospel. But we need to be equipped to go out there. and That's where you see all the salvations occur in the book of Acts. Church, we need to be equipped and be willing to go and do that, to talk to our neighbors and say, do you know Christ? What does that mean? Yes, I'm a Christian. And, and okay, well, what does that mean to you? And see if it lines up with what the Scripture says it means to be a Christian. 80% of people in this country, according to polls, think they're Christians. It's a little bit different of a country that we're living in than if 80% of this world, this country are Christian. They have a false belief of what Christianity is. We need to be bold and loving and appropriate and tactful to be able to share with them exactly what it means. It means to trust in Jesus to to forgive you of your sins. To receive salvation as a free gift. To trust in the Savior alone to pay your way to heaven. And God will do it and He loves to do it. Look Look at His posture towards unbelievers here. And He wants to give us His great heart towards them so that we can care about people's eternal souls more than what we care about how they think about us and what they think about us. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, am I still trying to please men? That tells us he was a man pleaser as the pharisee of Pharisees and as this zealot and went beyond anybody of his peers in Judaism, he was a man pleaser. And he said, am I still still trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. You can't do both. The fear of man is a snare. Jesus warned, beware when all men speak well of you. You can't have the world love you and be a disciple of Jesus Christ at the same time. Jesus said, you're going to face tribulation. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they listen to me, they're going to listen to you. We're not above our teacher. We're not above our master. So we have to have expectations that are biblical and be willing to pay the price when we get persecuted. And when people look at us and give us an evil lie, I'm getting persecuted. They gave us a dirty look. No. Wait till persecution really comes and then we'll really know what it is. But Paul said he said the secret of enjoying the fellowship of his sufferings. There's a way to know Christ that only comes through suffering. That's what John the Baptist was experiencing. He was experiencing Relating to Christ in a way that was entirely better and superior than if He had been let out. And that's the same for us. God wants us to follow Him wherever He leads, be willing to accept anything that He has for our lives, not be stumbled by what He allows or what He brings or what He doesn't bring, and really look at His Word as what the standard is in terms of what I should expect for Him. He doesn't want us to be stumbled. He wants us to go full steam ahead for Him by His grace and by His power. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, you are the potter and we are the clay. We submit our lives to you as your servants. We don't want to play church, Lord. We don't want to be religious. We don't want to go through the motions. Shake us to the core of who we are, Lord, and get us out of our comfort zone, out of our comfort, and into your harvest field. We pray for more workers to go into the harvest field, Lord. Send us, Help us to be willing. Thank you, Father, for how you have led us. But I pray, Father, that you would help us to go even more and be bolder for you. We recognize that you said, Jesus, that the harvest is ready to be harvested. Help us to not be surprised when people are ready. Help us to expect that. We thank you for your word and what you've said today to each one of us. Your Holy Spirit has spoken. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.